Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, we'll talk about Florida's win at South Carolina Tuesday night. We'll also preview the Florida-Missouri game Saturday in Columbia. Uh, The other Columbia, since Florida goes from one Columbia to the other. Um, We will also discuss, you know, why Florida's ball screen offense, um, you know, what what they've done to become really, really reliant on ball screens and uh, how that's helped as the Gators are now... um, in the top 35 in the country in offensive efficiency. I haven't been there in a couple seasons, so offense really improved over the last month. And as a result, the Gators start to actually look a little bit better on the floor. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, remember to go to iTunes, Spotify, give us a heart, give us a rating. Um, you can always send us feedback and follow us on Twitter at Florida BB Hour. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Uh, Florida defeats South Carolina 81-68 last night in Columbia. Uh, we're recording, what day is it? Wednesday afternoon. Um, I'm still like, the whole Christmas on a Wednesday thing has just thrown my days of the week so much uh, because I went back to work on January 2nd, Eric. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like... It's all just very confusing to me, and I really need just like one standard weekend to kind of hit reset, um, which I guess is coming quite soon. But Florida wins uh, 81-68, a tremendous performance from Andrew Nimhard, which leads me to our our listener question, um, which comes from ATX Gator, who wants to know, what's gotten into Andrew Nimhard? Have they made an adjustment specifically for him, or is Florida just executing stuff better? Uh, I, I mean, I would just tease an article that I just put up this morning. Uh, something that I just think is is crazy about what Andrew Nemhard has been doing is uh, if you rewind to last year, he really struggled to shoot off the dribble. He was a really, really poor shooter off the dribble. Uh, and then you kind of go towards this season and suddenly he's been awesome shooting off the dribble. Like it's, it's actually crazy when you look at his numbers last year, he was one of the worst guards in the country shooting off the dribble. Uh, this year he's, um, you know, arguably, one of the best he's in like the 85th percentile in terms of points per possession but if if you look at like all the guys ahead of him there's like four that have a comparable amount of attempts so when you look at the volume he's shooting off the dribble uh while still putting up uh really good percentages uh i think that's just a major change and i think early in the season when florida was going to uh going through their continuity dribble drive offense i didn't didn't really give him a chance to showcase it uh even when they started to go more into the uh the princeton offense uh, there's there's some kind of screen and roll, but I mean these last few games, it has just been like pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll for for Nemhart, and uh, because of the the way that they play pick and roll, because of the way that Andrew Nemhart now threatens the defense with his ability to shoot off the dribble, uh, either he, I mean in South Carolina was the perfect example, either they go under the screen and he's hitting a jump shot, uh, or they're concerned with that jump shot they chase him over the screen then he gets in the paint and distributes and i think that that's why you see him just putting up these these big assists big point games is because florida is just like i i mean it was a few weeks ago where i wrote the article looking at florida's play usage and uh, you know they ran a good amount of screen and roll but not a ton uh you look at these last few games they are just running a steady diet of pick and roll uh, and it's working really well and the big benefit beneficiary of that is uh, is andrew Nemhart. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say he's he's the big beneficiary of it. I think one thing that made last night 
more impressive to me, Eric, was that, you know, Kerry Blackshear didn't really play in the first half. So his, his kind of partner in crime on these pick and rolls, uh, it didn't really matter who who they partnered with him, whether it was Dante Bassett, uh, Omar Payne still kind of adjusting to setting those screens, Keontae Johnson on a couple possessions. Um, you know, Andrew was pretty much effective regarding regardless of, of who the screener was, who the roller was. Yeah, totally true. And they, they went a little bit to that uh, kind of like that double screen action where, where Keontae Johnson would pop out of that. And even though he didn't hit a three, I, I think it concerned the defense enough to give Nemhart some space. And then there is that kind of what they're running a, a bunch to is that kind of like butt screen where the entire time someone is uh, like Omar. This is where I thought Omar Payne was really good, despite not being, you know, not exactly on the box score for this. But a lot of times it was Omar Payne was down trying to uh, to seal under the hoop. Someone else was setting that that kind of flat butt screen. Andrew Nemhart was attacking off it, and Omar Payne sealed the help, and that allowed uh, Nemhart to get a couple layups. So, uh, and then there was that side ball screen, which I think has been one of the most effective kind of ball yeah. screens. Uh, and then there was the and then there was the wedge ball screen that Florida put out, where they set a screen for the screener to come set a ball screen for Nemhart. Uh, so they they've got like a few a few different plays in the arsenal, but but really a lot of it is screen and roll for Andrew Nemhart, and uh, he's known what to do with it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think people that that missed um, the the Billy Donovan offense are probably pretty pleased that Florida's just ball screening people to death. Um, you know, and I actually saw some tweets last night from some, I guess, some national writers that had straggled into the Florida South Carolina telecast and were like, "Oh, Mike White really likes these ball screens now." And it's like, well, you know, the offense has gone from uh, in the high fifties in Kimpom efficiency after the Butler game uh, all the way up to 35th. And I think some of that is, is these changes um, obviously the, the orange bowl classic loss aside. Yeah. I mean, uh, don't look now, but Florida is 34th in offense and 35th in defense. So I guess this is an <laughs> offensive basketball team. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, once again, and I mean, I, I think, I think basketball, if you want to look at basketball with like a really like broad view, Offensive basketball, and this is something I've said on this podcast, is about creating advantage situations. Basketball is about uh, is about forcing a second defender to have to come guard either the ball or someone away from the ball, uh, and then from there you can make reads. And that's what Florida has always wanted to do. That was the origin of Mike White wanting to play dribble drive. It was, hey, let's get that initial dribble drive, force an advantage situation, and then we play from there. Um, obviously, it didn't work. They couldn't get that first advantage situation. So. Uh, how do you create an advantage situation? Well, for this team, it's been the screen and roll. And it just seems like every time they set up ball screen for Andrew Nembhardt, uh, the defense has to respond uh, in, in a way that's opened things up. Like, uh, you know, someone helps over, he passes it to Keontae Johnson, he attacks a closeout. Or uh, you've got Noah Locke who can drill the jump shot. And I, uh, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, it, like it's, it's, I think Florida should just keep going at it until teams can stop it because they're getting that initial advantage situation. And then from there, they're able to attack closeouts and make reads. So they're actually getting like what Mike White initially wanted from the dribble drive offense. Uh, they're getting those kind of concepts of, hey, let's uh, get an advantage situation and then attack a closeout and make reads off of it. Uh, they're just doing it with a screen and roll. So I, until a team can stop it, I, I don't see why they'll keep going. And uh, so it's also something that you said that was kind of funny. Like, I don't know what it was, but there was a ton of national writers uh, tweeting about the Florida-South Carolina game, which is like not <laughs> something I really expected. And there, I, I was just, you know, like, 
when I watch a game, I'm like usually pretty focused. Uh, I'm posting on Gator Country on the forum because I'm not like a ton on Twitter, to be honest. But there's one time out where I looked on Twitter and there's like a bunch of people tweeting about Frank Martin's style and how terrifying he looks. And I was just like, wow, there's like a lot of national people watching the game right now. So I'm uh, glad that Florida put on one of their best performances. Yeah, you know, it, I, one one of the uh, writers that, that you know I like, uh, Rob Duster, wanted to watch Florida because he just wanted to see if they reacted, how they reacted to the Alabama comeback. Like, would they would they go to Colonial Life Arena against a desperate South Carolina team and just be like, ah, we did awesome to come back and win from 21 points down and just kind of not show up? Or would they go and, and be physical and get the job done? And, you know, Frank Martin said after the game that – I think he got his answer. I mean, Frank Martin said after the game that it's rare – he, he feels like sometimes they'll lose a game, but they don't usually get out toughed. And Frank Martin's comment was Florida was just tougher. Uh, Florida finished 70.1% uh, of their attempts at the rim yesterday. Uh, so that's a little over their season average. They're actually one of the – the Gators are, are 23rd in the country in, in – uh, in, uh, God, field goal percentage in the paint. I'm sorry. Uh, 67% of their attempts they make, but, but their high conversion rate was even better yesterday. Um, and I think some of that too, Eric was for the most part, I was pretty pleased with Florida shot selection as well. Uh, yeah, for the most part, I definitely think that, uh, uh, there was, you know, there's obviously the moments and there's a couple that like, you know, Scotty Lewis turns a wide open three into a dribble jumper from the long two. Uh, I thought there were some moments where uh, he where took Locke a was... wide open three when he had Noah Locke open for an even better three too. But... <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's true. Honestly, I, that's okay I though. I minded that one as yeah. much. I start, yeah. Like if he's going to take an open shot in rhythm, uh, I am okay with that. I know it's, if you know, if you made the extra pass, that would have been awesome too, but um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't dislike that one as, as much as some. Um, I, I actually didn't dislike it at all. But uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> overall, uh, Florida was getting uh, shots at the rim, and I and I know a couple people like uh, like something I've talked about a lot is how many shots Florida has taken off the dribble. Um, well, Andrew Nemhart took a bunch, but and while he was definitely hotter than normal, he was six for ten on dribble jumpers. Uh, he's actually someone who the dribble jumper has been a really good shot for. He's over a point per possession. Uh, I wrote about that at Gator Country. You can go read about. That that so even even the sh kind of shots off the dribble he took were good uh, and some of the other players kind of limited them and uh i think for florida to just continue to get good shots um, especially when blackshear was out of the game for that entire first half it felt like uh yeah it showed it showed great so shot selection and that's why you know I, I look at the game and i don't think florida did anything crazy offensively um you know Noah or sorry uh, andrew demhart hit shots but it wasn't like it wasn't like he was hitting a bunch of ridiculous stepbacks. He was hitting open shots. So uh, I, I do think this was an improved shot selection game for, for Florida, and I think that's why you see that they had a successful offensive game. Yeah, I mean, I think one one byproduct of, of a lot of this screen and roll action stuff is that Florida is getting um, more action downhill to the rim, and then Florida did a nice job of ball reversals, which created opportunities to attack closeouts, which I think that is so important when you play South Carolina and that, extended passing lane pressure is you have to do you have to be able to reverse the ball effectively i thought florida really did a nice job of that and you see it in the numbers the gators had 13 assists on their 28 makes that's pretty high for this florida team believe it or not and um 
And, you know, I do think that they were able to get some good looks towards the 10 attacking closeouts as a result. Yeah, that's uh, – I, I mean, obviously, Keontae Johnson had, once again, just the most, like, brilliant attack of a closeout to a dunk in the second half. Uh, I thought that uh, I thought that Noah Locke did, too, actually. And that was uh, something where Noah Locke uh, – which I, I do appreciate, but uh, he's hasn't uh, – he hasn't settled for a lot of jump shots sometimes. Because there's games where um, I, I feel like, – like, honestly, ideally, I think that Locke would take, like, you know, five or six or seven three-point attempts per game. Uh, I think he took three last night and hit two of them. Uh, which especially the fact that he was hit two of three, I thought he'd be hunting it a lot more, but I actually think he, he was unselfish and uh, didn't force jumpers. And I thought that that was uh, some mature basketball from him. But uh, once again, if Florida is going to keep playing this, this screen and roll offense, that's working so well. Uh, the other players on the floor need to know that, Hey, when the screen and roll happens, if I get the ball kicked to me, uh, there's probably going to be a closeout to be attacked. And, and uh, if the player doesn't attack that closeout, the possession now has lost all momentum. So I think it's something that now that you see Florida doing it over and over and over again, uh, players are getting more comfortable. And uh, once again, I mean, it's it's the simplest basketball Florida could play, but it's it's been so effective. Yeah, Florida wins the rebounding battle in both halves as well, which I think is always important when you play South Carolina because a team like the Gamecocks, we talked about it on our preview, they're not the – they're not the best shooting basketball team. So they really do rely on uh, attacking the offensive glass. In particular, Florida out gets more offensive rebounds, gets more total rebounds. They got murdered by Mike Kotsar like they always get murdered by Mike Kotsar. But they did a terrific job kind of combining to shut down A.J. Lawson. Yeah, A.J. Lawson did get slowed. And one thing I thought that they did to, to slow him down, which also ties into rebounding, was – uh, the way that Florida was able to put so much pressure on the glass by offensive rebounding so well, uh, South Carolina wasn't able to get out and run a lot. Uh, and, and that is by far their best offense. And that's definitely where A.J. Lawson thrives the most is in transition. So, I mean, Florida just has Scotty Lewis from the small forward spot dominating the glass. Uh, I, I thought that South Carolina had to uh, bring their guards back to try to help on the boards. Uh, so then when they got the ball, they, they didn't have the opportunity to run. So like you mentioned, uh, quiet game for AJ Lawson, who uh, really struggles uh, at the rim going 0 for 7. Uh, he had some jump shots. He, he got lost for, uh, for a few open threes. That, that wasn't great defensively from Florida. But uh, yeah, once again, uh, him missing shots at the rim, I also think has had a lot to do with, uh, with Omar Payne getting in for some key minutes. Uh, just because, you know, Kerry Blackshear has not been a great uh, rim protector throughout his career. He just isn't particularly long and he doesn't have the leaping ability. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, Omar Payne has the length and the leaping ability. So uh, I thought that even though I, I'm not even sure if Omar Payne was credited with a block, maybe, maybe one, I think I remember, uh, but I thought he changed some shots and it was just crazy. Cause I mean, I, I remember the game and it feels like Omar Payne played like 20, 24 minutes or something. And he played like 12 or 13, uh, but he was just <laughs> so productive in there. Cause he was changing shots. Uh, getting every rebound when he was on the floor, uh, but I mean, when when he, when he's on the floor, I do think Florida might be a better defensive team than than uh, than when Kerry Blackshear's out there, uh, and at least with uh, with AJ Lawson getting turned away at the rim, and he's a he's a long guard who can finish at the rim, and he couldn't finish at the rim against Florida. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I thought uh, they did get nice minutes out of Omar Payne and Dante Bassett with with um, Blackshear in foul trouble. Omar Payne, I thought, I actually should give credit to the staff for how they managed that because there were a bunch of guys in foul trouble in the first half, and for Florida to kind of navigate that with some unique rotations, Eric, um, can be kind of – that can be tricky, and and Florida did a really nice job of it and was able to build a lead. 
Uh, they obviously didn't play very well in the last minute of the half, which could bite them later in the SEC. You can't just give away four points like the Gators kind of did. But, um, yeah, I mean, what a luxury to, to be able to go Omar Payne, whose athleticism is is really something Florida can continue to, to maybe rely on a little more as the season goes on. If there's a real weakness to this Florida team, I think it's it has been post-defense and just the way that the teams are really eating uh, pretty well against Florida inside. Um, you know, maybe that's that's something that gets fixed. But I think, uh, you know, you alluded to it, Omar Payne, eight rebounds in the first half, Eric. And then, uh, you know, Dante Bassett comes in and, and he gets a, takes a charge, is involved in some really good offense on a couple possessions. So I think, you know, that they were able to, to kind of weather the storm uh, with Kerry on the bench. Dante Bassett's ability to take charges is like nothing short of incredible. Uh, (laughs) It's just crazy. Like uh, he just, he uh, should have gotten another call by the way. And I guess they said he moved. I don't know. That was tough. I'd have to see that one again. I I thought he's in decent position and, but uh, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, it's just crazy. As soon as someone drives, he can kind of like sit, he just like sits behind his man until like the exact moment to to step out and and take a charge. And I, I think it's really impressive because there's kind of two ways to protect the rim. If you're a center, you either, you know, stand up, get vertical, jump straight up in the air, uh, contest shots that way. But I mean, if you're Dante Bassett, you're not particularly tall or long and you're not a great leaper, uh, but you can protect the rim by getting into position, planting your feet and taking charges. So right. uh, the way that he is, uh, he's because he's someone who, yeah, just doesn't have the length and athleticism to be a kind of prototypical rim defender. So the way that he's protected the rim with his ability to take charges is uh, is massive and just shows that, uh, yeah, shows some intelligence. So uh, I, I do think in, when he's gotten into these last couple of games, I, th- I thought he's played played really well. And, uh, yeah, it makes it really interesting when Florida tries to, uh, you know, it feels like Omar Payne needs minutes. You know, Kerry Blackshear is obviously going to get a bunch when he's not in foul trouble. And uh, Dante Bassett's uh, kind of commanding some run too. So it, it will be interesting to see if they go to the two big lineups a little bit more or, or how they continue to work it because I would say that, yeah, you definitely – got plus minutes from Bassett. You definitely got plus minutes from Payne when, uh, when Blackshear had to go off. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, that's good. And, and Florida, you know, they needed those. And it's also interesting that really that foul trouble extended Florida's bench because otherwise, you know, the Gators really for the first time this season, four players, uh, four starters played over 30 minutes. So, you know, Mike White has really settled on that kind of seven, eight man rotation. Yes. Technically 10 players played. Uh, I, I think that the rotation probably is eight more fairly. And I think it, it will involve like, I really think they're going to go quest Glover, Trey man, whichever one has kind of the hot hand because right now, and we saw it again last night, Eric, they just trust quest Glover defensively more than they trust Trey man right now. Yeah, man got in and had some tough fouls. Uh, I, I really feel for him. He's really gotten himself in some tough uh, tough scenarios defensively. Like, uh, when you look at his kind of defensive errors over the last few games, it's it's really not like he is making brainless decisions or making lazy closeouts. Uh, he's just kind of found himself in, in some really tough, uh, tough read scenarios where he's the help guy and he's got to make a, diff- a difficult decision. Uh, he had a tough one where he left his feet, but it was a really good pump fake, to, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, it was. I know as much as uh, as much as uh, you know, some people are going to say like in any situation, just never leave your feet to contest a shooter. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm like I'm 
something like that with a three-point shooter on a two-point shooter like in the scenario was i i i really thought he's going up with it so i can see why why man did it so uh and yeah just uh just one thing that uh, continues to to bite him is that he just can't hit the open shots and uh i mean interesting enough like Quez Glover still can't hit the open shot either. So no, that's, he uh, can't. So you look at two players that haven't been able to to really create off- offense, uh, but Quez Glover's bringing you more on the defensive end, I think. So uh, it will be interesting if Mann can start to uh, start to hit some of those open shots. And I, I know Mann is someone uh, just like Quez Glover. Uh, both of those players are better at shooting off the dribble than than his catch and shoot players. Uh, but on this team, they need one of those guys to be a catch and shoot player. So if one of them can step up and, and start to knock down open shots and be a floor spacer they, they differentiate themselves in the race um as well as uh you know quez glover had some moments getting to the rim i, I think trey man uh is someone who in transition can can be a little bit better i know he had that tough tough turnover against alabama but uh, he's still someone who shows some good moments in transition but uh, i would say right now and you can tell by the minutes played category that uh, yeah that the staff trusts glover more yeah i felt bad about about trey yesterday too because you can't. I think. I think it like went in and out. I think his three pointer yesterday went went in and out twice. Oh. <laughs> it kind of rattled around, hit the glass, rattled around again, and then went out. Um, you know, so some of these are on target, but but he's not. You know, he's obviously uh, just not quite there yet. And if he's going to shoot twenty percent and not offer a lot defensively, quite honestly, you know. They they just can't afford to play him too long, and so so he gets only the six minutes yesterday. And, and So yeah, I mean Trey Mann's gonna play six minutes, and that's kind of how it is right now for him with with his shooting percentages. Um, the last thing I guess for this game was just that uh, Florida was kind of able to pull away, Eric, despite the fact that you know Carolina crept back to to make it a one point game a couple times. I think even in the in the second half they got it under five with about eight minutes to go, and and Florida really had had an answer every time. Yeah, I think that's some timely buckets, and uh, and one thing too, and I, I you know, I, people who listen to the podcast or see my, see what I write, uh, know that I don't dip into these intangibles very often. This is not something I normally talk about, uh, but I will say, I mean, I really feel like watching the team last year and and even the team the year before, or uh, I thought that sometimes when these uh, these games started to to get a little hairy in the road in SEC play, I I, I thought that the teams kind of looked scared at times uh whereas i just thought that florida looked so confident yesterday uh it just seemed like when uh there were some big buckets 
from South Carolina, you know, like a big turnover and then South Carolina scores or an and one or a big three from AJ Lawson. And uh, I just thought the team like was completely unfazed by it. And I thought it looked, uh, it looked like a really mature group. So uh, I, I do think that they, uh, it's, you know, especially Andrew Neymar, who's just balling and just uh, it, when South Carolina scored, uh, Florida just got the ball into Nemhard. He got the ball over half, half safely, got players the spots, uh, and he attacked hard off the screen and roll every time like he was looking to score and make a play. So uh, just a, a confident team that I think that uh, this is one of their, this is one of the things you're going to get from a team that does play a really challenging non-conference schedule is that uh, you're used to good opponents and, and tight games and teams who play an easier schedule aren't as much. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it just showed um, showed some maturity from uh, from Florida. Yep, I would agree with that. And now, uh, you know, I think really more maturity necessary because Florida heads to Missouri uh, Saturday. They're going to play a night game. Um, what's going to be almost certainly a full arena uh, at Mizzou. That place is is pretty rowdy and, and a, a formidable uh, place to play when when it's full and when it's loud. Uh, the Gators have played there when it's loud. They've played there when it's empty. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, sell out the Chris Chioza game, the, the steal at the end. Everybody remembers that. Um, you know, they've had other games there. Billy Donovan's last season where I think, you know, I've seen uh, high school crowds at the Montverde games that are bigger. Um, so, so you never know what you're going to get. But right now, the weekend games, early in conference play, you know, just let's just say it'll be a tougher environment than we, we saw in colonial life. I think, um, Eric, I wouldn't say that, you know, Missouri is, is an NCAA tournament caliber team. Um, but I did think before the season, they were a little better than advertised. I thought they'd be very good defensively. Um, and you know, a lot of that seems maybe now to be less certain with, with the news that one of the best shot blockers in the country, Jeremiah Tillman is out indefinitely. Yeah, I mean they've they've really gotten hurt uh, by injuries like these last couple seasons. I mean Quanza Martin has had some pretty bad luck, uh, and it's a team that also always seems to defend pretty well. Uh, but uh, you know you may take out the shot blocker like Tillman, but uh, you also take out a guy who can really make some plays offensively. And yep. this is a team that's you know 32nd in Ken Palm defensively. They are 127th offensively. So uh, it, it's kind of clear a little bit where their struggles are. Uh, and, I, you know, Quanzo Martin has never been someone particularly known for his, his offense, I would say. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just they, they play at a really slow tempo uh, and they don't get those easy buckets in transition. Florida might know a little bit about, uh, about that, but Florida plays you know, better half court offense than, than Missouri does. So, uh, I mean, we, we talked about uh, on the podcast how South Carolina lost to Clem or sorry, um, how they lost to Stetson. Uh, I, Missouri actually has a loss that's like almost the same. They lost to Charleston Southern. So, I mean, Stetson was 320th in Ken Palm. Uh, Charleston Southern was 299th. So uh, very much in the same, the same realm. Uh, that game was, was at Missouri and Charleston Southern won by eight. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like they pulled one out on a buzzer beater. Uh, so there's a little bit of that. And, and I mean, Missouri has also beat Illinois on a neutral floor, who's, who's a pretty good team. So there's a little bit of that, like, you know, you wonder what you're going to get from them. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And you also look at, uh, uh, there's some other, uh, Neil, Neil was talking off air about luck. So I'm uh, about how, how unlucky Missouri has been. So Neil, I hope I'm not stealing your bit here, but just, uh, something <laughs> I was looking at was, uh, talking about unlucky is, uh, uh, how, uh, the other teams are shooting 75.8% from the free throw line against them, which is always oh. like, 
an indicator of, of luck. Florida actually, I think it was four years ago, or no, five, it might have been Billy Donovan's last year. I, I actually forget now. It was either that year or the year after. Uh, Florida opponents shot the, the, the highest free throw percentage against them. And I mean, like, that's just unlucky. So, uh, yeah, there's been some moments like that for Missouri. Yeah, you know, if and, and depending on what system you use, like if you use if you use Ken Palm, they're 32nd in defensive efficiency in, in both the Sagarin and the Haslam metrics. They're in the top 30 defensive efficiency, um, 25th in Haslam metrics uh, at, at 86 points every 100 possessions for, pers- for perspective. Um, Florida's at 89 um, under that standard. Uh, you know, they, they do – they do a great job of denying your first shot. Um, I think is, is kind of the way I'd put it. Like you thought that the ball pressure defense that Alabama played was intense. I really feel like that's something that Kwanzaa Martin has, has always emphasized. Uh, that said, um, they now are kind of without their, their rim protector. Tillman was one guy in, in another one of the early big Kwanzaa Martin recruiting classes. And, and they have been, stung a little bit by by the injury bug but you know another thing that has stung them throughout his tenure is you know they've really just never forged a real clear identity offensively yeah i I mean they played through their bigs a a good deal but uh you know outside of that i i I don't feel like they have always had kind of the, the the great individual post scores to make that happen so like i mean xavier tillman's a pretty good scorer he's a really good passer uh but when you don't have really good shooting guards and that's one thing they, they just don't really have good shooting guards to, to really play that way and uh, I think teams are kind of content to get let them go one-on-one down on the block uh, you know they they definitely play slow uh, which you know is if, if you're not if you're not a good half-court team uh, playing slow is a tough way to put points on the board so uh, yeah I mean I, you do look at those teams and you just say like I, I mean one thing I always notice is like like I'll ask you this Neil like who do you think is the best Missouri guard of the last three years, four years. I, is there anyone off the top of your head that you've been like really scared for, for as a guard from them? You can, I, I don't know. I, I can't really think of one myself. And uh, for that reason, I mean, if you don't have great ball handlers, it's tough to have an offensive identity and to score well. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I, you know, I think, I think there's a chance that it kind of becomes Xavier Pinson. Um, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I thought Jordan Geis got as much out of his talent as he possibly mm-hmm. as he possibly could. I also thought, like the one thing he gave them that they don't necessarily even have this year. Although I, Drew Smith is creative, right? Like I kind of he's a he's a very good passer. He's extraordinarily good on defense. They can get transition buckets because he's quick with his hands, and then he'll make the right pass. But they still don't like Geis was the guy who you know, you wondered how he could create because he wasn't quick and he, he wasn't necessarily fast, but he could figure out a way to get a shot. Like, who is that on this team? Yeah, I, I'm really interested what, to see what happens. Cause, I mean, they play slow. Uh, Florida really slows down their opponents, so there's going to be some late clock situations. So I really wonder uh, what they plan on doing. Like, who do they plan to have the ball? Like, Mark Smith has been a good shooter for them, a really good shooter, actually, uh, but is not someone who is uh, going to make a play with the – with a dribble or, or get threes that way. Uh, you know, Xavier Pinson is a good young player, but uh, I, he, I don't think he gets great separation or anything like that. I don't think he's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's someone who can kind of make a shot late. So I, I do look at Missouri and, and I just, 
they want to play at the same, same tempo as Florida, but uh, if, if the game really is kind of slow, I just wonder how Missouri's going to try to score at the end of clocks. Well, according to hoop math, Penson is the guy that they go to late in the shot clock at 34.7% of their takes. And, and like he does an okay job at drawing fouls, it, you know, he's, he's among the top, what, 350 or 400, however many Kim Palm ranks he's in there on, on the fouls drawn. But, you know, if you shoot what he shoots from outside at 24%, you can really collapse on just him attacking the rim. And Florida is pretty good at that. Like Florida gets in trouble on straight line drives, like in the Alabama game when, when early, when they were so concerned with, with, with making sure that they tried to chase some of the Alabama shooters off the three-point line that they just got abused. And then, of course, Alabama did a nice job of isolating matchups with elite athletes. That's not really something that Missouri can necessarily do. Uh, so, so Missouri you know, has to find other ways to score, and that's why it hurts to lose Tillman on both ends, which is why it was a good point by you to bring up you know, his offense because he's also an excellent offensive rebounder. Javon Pickett. Uh, he's a pretty decent offensive rebounder when he's in the game, but otherwise, you know, they're not just, they're just not a very good offensive team is the bottom line. No. And uh, they don't have a lot of great athletes and they've got a lot of big bodies in the paint, but again, not a lot of great bodies and Xavier Tillman's not a, not a great athlete even, but no, uh, he's still a really good player, but yeah, they don't have a lot of athleticism on the inside. So uh, it, yeah, it's, it's tough for them to even, uh, it, yeah, it's, it, you can see why they play slow. They just don't have a lot of great athletes. And uh, I think that Florida is just going to be really comfortable with a lot of their man-to-man kind of matchups. I, I don't really see any any matchups that like particularly favor Missouri or, or anything that like really scares me on the perimeter. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm not like Xavier Pinson's a good player and, and, and Drew Smith has had some good moments, but uh, they're not someone that like really terrifies you. And Jonte uh, Porter would have been, or sorry, Chante Porter. I'm looking. I'm looking at their past. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at some of their I, I, at their past Ken Palm profiles. Jeremiah Tillman. Uh, he's someone who uh, could really get you in foul trouble uh, if he was in the game. So that would concern me because, like, I want to see Kerry Blackshear play more than. Uh, uh, but yeah, they, like, yeah, Neil, is there you kind of see as concerning or like if Missouri finds a way to win, what matchup do you think that they they win? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that the the way it happens is, for me, is just Mark Smith is hot. And, you know, Drew Smith does enough to keep the defense honest with his shots. um, Because he's not going to be a high-volume shooter, but he's averaging, you know, 11 points a game. Because, like I said, he's a player I like. He plays real smart, and he can get you transition baskets. uh, Because he's very good defensively. Like, Florida did a nice job of taking care of the basketball on the road against a team that it's hard to take care of the basketball against Tuesday night. So let's say they don't do that. Like, that's the scenario where Florida loses. Like, 17, 18 turnovers, and then Missouri shoots pretty well, which would include Penson and the two Smiths, I think. Yeah, uh, so, you know, they're 275th in three-point percentage. So I, I really think, like, any team can can get hot in, in college basketball. Especially uh, at home. It would be, yeah, at home. But, it, you know, it would probably be a little bit unlikely for uh, for Missouri. But, I mean, I, I, anyone can, can get hot. And, uh, uh, yeah, and they do force turnovers, that's for sure. And uh, the, the pressure can be, you know, yeah, the pressure that they do play has given Florida uh, troubles at times. So uh, that, that is something to be a little bit concerned about. So uh, luckily, you know, just like going from Alabama to South Carolina, they 
uh, they kind of had some of the same things to prepare for in terms of uh, South Carolina playing in transition, just like uh, like Alabama does. Uh, I would say that the pressure that Missouri puts puts in the half court is kind of similar to South Carolina. So there is a uh, hopefully something there, you know, a little bit a little bit prepared for uh, because yeah, it's a especially on the road, like you mentioned. Uh, I mean, if you get a couple turnovers and the crowd's loud and the next time down the floor you still get hounded, that's not particularly fun. So uh, uh, that's something to be aware of. So there, there's an interesting, like, bench usage thing with Missouri that kind of hints at their offensive ineptitude, by the way. And that's the fact that <laughs> that uh, their, quote-unquote, what you, what you would call your preferred lineup for Missouri – has only played 5.3% of possessions. So their most used lineup um, with without, and this was with Tillman, was Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Pickett, um, and then Pence and Tillman. That was 5.3% of possessions. So um, that is the worst in the SEC by far, the lowest number on preferred. Like, for example, Florida's, Preferred five is sixteen point seven percent of possessions, um, Eric. So that means that right now, Quanzo Martin is still looking for rotations to figure out either what's the best way to score, or it's just he does it because he's trying to figure out who's shooting well that night. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he doesn't have a lot of good shooters, so I could see how he'd be cycling through it. And again, like he's got some pretty big bodies that are not that are not particularly good athletes. So I don't think that like they can handle a, a lot of minutes. I don't think conditioning would be the strength of some of these bigger bodies. So uh, yeah, they, they do roll through a bunch of different lineups and uh, yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, like if there was one good lineup, yeah, you'd, you'd think that they, they played a lot more. And I think, yeah, any team that cycles through that many and doesn't have uh, that kind of continuity probably doesn't just, they just don't have a great five that that really works for them. Uh, which, of course, the injuries have definitely contributed to. Yep, another guy that plays in their second lineup, their sixth man right now, is Kobe Brown. He's another guy that could be kind of a wild card, a 6-7 wing. We all know Florida struggles with them, with uh, with wings of that nature. Uh, he signed originally with Texas A&M and was released from his letter of intent when Billy Kennedy was fired, signed with Quadzo Martin. Um, a top 300 national prospect, so like not you know heavily recruited, but... But certainly, uh, he had a recruiting page for a couple of years, unlike one of Florida's players. Um, so, and and he's played about forty four percent of their minutes, which is which is a pretty clear indicator. He's he's the sixth man. Torrance Watson would be their seventh man. Again, you're talking about two guys that are shooting in the twenty percentage area um, from the perimeter. Um, I bet that Kwanzaa Martin pulls his hair out every time Kobe Brown pulls up from out there because he is 25 for 40 on two-pointers, Eric, and 8 for 40 on his three-pointers. <laughs> Oof. So it's, it's like, stop shooting, young man, and attack 10. Yeah, and he's, he's someone who definitely is uh, is more impactful on the defensive end. He's someone who plays pretty well in that, uh, like you mentioned, is like a long wing to be able to, to create turnovers and, and turnovers are something that Missouri needs to do if they're going to win, just because they're not good enough scoring to uh, uh, to just kind of say like, "Hey, uh, you know, we're going to let the other team go on offense. We'll try to stop them, and now we'll run our half court stuff." Like they they have to find a way to get steals and uh, and eliminate shots from the other team, and, and hopefully get some transition easy buckets themselves. So so yeah, Kobe Brown definitely uh, someone who comes up with a lot of steals. Uh, yeah, if he's going to be a shooter against Florida, that would be a uh, 
that would be quite favorable. Yeah, I mean, it, look, Missouri in, in, in games against Power 6 opponents, this is how many points they've scored. 58, 52, 66, um, 64, 63, 59, and 59. So, you know, they're not going to – it's going to be – they're going to want to play a game in the high 50s, low 60s, and see if they can just physically wear Florida out. I think it's going to be hard for them without – Jeremiah Tillman, but I should point out that, you know, Haslametrics is, has it as a 62 58 um, Missouri victory. So his computer model still likes Missouri, even without Tillman. Um, I don't think Ken Palm is updated to reflect injuries necessarily. It's kind of the algorithm doesn't work that way, but uh, it does have Florida winning by one point in, in that kind of game. So computers definitely think this is a close basketball game. That shows just how important home court is. And, uh, Missouri has a good one, and uh, yeah, it's. I, I look at a lot of the factors, and I think, yeah, this is a really favorable matchup for Florida. But like, uh, yeah, you look at these predictive metrics, and uh, uh, yeah, and you you look and say like, oh wow, it's it actually looks like it's going to be a tight game. And uh, as much as Missouri has had a tough uh, a tough start to the season, they're like, oh, I forget it now. They're in the fifties, I think, in the net. So like, not actually bad. Like, I, yeah. I would have thought that they would have really dropped. So the computers definitely like them, and. Uh, it probably shows a little bit of the uh, like, like. I mean, it is like you like you look at uh, they've they've kind of stacked up some losses, but uh, outside of that like weird Charleston Southern one, there there aren't a lot of like terrible like it's kind of you know they don't have terrible losses like they lost to Xavier in overtime. Uh, you know, Florida saw them; they're a good team. They lost to Butler by eleven. Uh, you know, we know how good Butler is. Uh, they lost to eleven to Oklahoma on a neutral floor. I mean, not like a not a terrible loss by any means. Oklahoma's pretty good this year. And then, you know, they just lost to Kentucky on the road uh, and then lost to Tennessee without, uh, without Jeremiah Tillman. So like, you know, it's none of their losses are like, t- are terrible. So, uh, and then they've got, you know, they've got the Illinois win. They beat Temple who's pretty good. So uh, yeah, they got uh, the computer still think that this is like not an awful team. Whereas, you know, I look at, I look at watching them play, look at some of the numbers. I, I would think they're not, they're not great. Uh, but the computers are, you know, show a little bit that they, uh, they're not as bad as, as some people would think. So it could be uh, could be a sneakily tough game. Yeah, it really could. And look, uh, these next two games are pretty big for Florida because you can get off to a 4-0 start against teams that, that you know, you're probably – you have to look at least on paper and kind of the way the teams are playing right now and say Florida's better. Um, and so you get the 4-0 because – you want to be four and zero when you hit what I think is is one of the two most brutal parts of the schedule, Eric. You know, Auburn, LSU, Baylor, Miss State, back to back to those four NCAA tournament caliber basketball teams that that Florida's going to play basically to close out January after Missouri and after coming home to play Mississippi next Tuesday. But you know, if you start four and zero in league play and then you're welcoming Auburn in, probably an undefeated Auburn team into town, and you're four and zero. I mean, you're talking about suddenly where you can, you know, if you beat Auburn, you're 5-0 and in the league, you can make a real statement um, about kind of your intent and, and that you're here to compete for the conference championship. But you, these are the games you have to win to win conference titles. Well, one thing that's really interesting is that Ken Palm has Florida finishing second in the league now. Um, and I went and looked at it and I was a little bit surprised, but I mean, before it had Florida finishing like third or fourth and um but i, I actually went to, i looked at auburn's schedule and uh, so so i should i should say so for they actually have florida finishing second behind kentucky 
which is actually fairly surprising. But I looked at Auburn's schedule, and Auburn's schedule is, is I would say, much more difficult than Florida's. Um, like I kind of, you know, like we mentioned uh, right when Florida's schedule got announced in the summer, it, it actually breaks fairly favorably for the Gators, I will say. Yeah. Like, I, I think their schedule is really good, and I thought their schedule last year was really tough, and this year's SEC schedule just breaks a lot better. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, – you look at Auburn's schedule, and I think they've got – like, they've got Georgia twice – uh, they've got Alabama twice. Uh, they've got Ole Miss twice. Uh, so those are their like, you know, their their double kind of opponents. So they don't have the like, they don't have they don't have you know Vanderbilt twice like Florida does. And uh, just kind of looking at the way it breaks up, they don't have the kind of easy stretches. So uh, the the schedule actually favors Florida doing quite well this year uh, and, and challenging for a conference title, which is you know might sound a little bit weird, but uh, as good as Auburn has been, uh, you know Ken Pong still thinks Florida is going to finish higher and the schedule is a big factor of that don't get me wrong but it does show that if Florida takes care of business if they are able to beat Auburn at home uh because you know they they could be fighting for that second spot or the top spot uh because I do think Auburn's better than Kentucky uh yeah that could be that could be a huge game so uh but yeah this is just another reminder that Florida does have a really good schedule and as long as they kind of like take care of the games they should win uh they'll be in really good shape yeah, I mean that's the key. That's and that's why I say the, you know these get like South Carolina away, Missouri away, two winnable road games. You got to go get those if you want to hang a conference title banner. Is kind of the the bottom line, Eric. And and so I think if you get a chance to play Missouri without Jeremiah Tillman, you know you better take advantage of it because you cannot drop games that you have to win or that that you should win. Uh, to win SEC championships. You just can't do it. We saw Tennessee dropped one or two last year. They probably should have won. And what happened? You know, strong-ass LSU team won the league. So that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. And and so this is, uh, you know, an, an awfully big uh, an awfully big road trip for Florida. And, and Tuesday night against Mississippi will be big as well. And then, you know, you can look ahead to Auburn. I, I did hear Dickie Vitale on the, on the radio today. Uh, and he, he already, he was already talking about Auburn and saying, Oh, cupcake city. Let's see what happens when they go to, when they go to Gainesville. So people, people are already talking about it. I mean, Dick Vitale making fun of Auburn's schedule, you know, people, people already are ready to see how good that Auburn team is. The answer is very good, but Florida has a couple more games to take care of before, uh, everybody gets to see them play the Gators. Oh, I, I'm not going to say the tweet. Uh, but Dickie <laughs> v sent out the funniest tweet today. That was, was this the, the Iran tweet about vintage? <laughs> yes, he was like he started talking about Iran and then just like hard pivoted to talking about like four teams he's interested in seeing college basketball and his like obscure use of punctuation and capitalization made you read it like entirely in his voice and I like honestly spat out coffee the like three times i read it over i thought it was hilarious so uh yeah whenever you read whatever to the podcast i would heavily recommend going to to dickie v's twitter and seeing what he uh what he tweeted today on uh, on wednesday because it's just pure dickie v and it's hilarious cupcake city baby cupcake city so uh that's our show congrats to mike white on career win number 200 ninth fastest active coach to get the 200 wins i saw most people were appreciative of that. I saw we did get a couple hive dive ins that, that called it uh oh all those mid major wins to which I had to I had to note that Mark Few and 
and John Calipari, who were a couple of the coaches that got to 200 faster, <laughs> mm. did it entirely on the back of mid-major wins instead of actually having power six wins. But um, in any event, it's impressive it, to get there in nine seasons. The fastest anyone has ever done it is uh, Roy Williams, who did it in, in, in uh, seven. Everyone else did it in eight or more. Um, and so, you know, it just gives you an idea of uh, – of the fact that uh, Mike White's had good players, if you don't think he can coach. So um, <laughs> that's, that's our show, and uh, hopefully we're talking about another Gator win on uh, Sunday. Thanks, everybody.